Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays here on this Wednesday in April, April 14, and just three days away from seeing some football in the shoe. Ohio State spring game coming up on Saturday. There will be some fans in attendance. And I don't know about you, Colin, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to see uh, some football in Ohio Stadium again and, and, and getting to watch uh, a lot of you know, young Buckeyes uh, get their turn in the spotlight. Like I say, I don't know about you as if there's a shot that I'd come on here and say, you know what, I'm just not feeling the spring game. Uh, you know, I just can't believe it's happening. Yeah, no, of course I'm excited. It's, you know, I was just realizing it'll be the first first game that we see Ohio State play, regardless of the fact it's an exhibition, uh, without Justin Fields since the Urban Meyer era, which really puts into perspective the the changing of the guard that that we're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't. I hadn't thought about that, but it, it is. I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, very interesting, you know, because I think, you know, I think back to the spring game, you know, three years ago when it was uh, Dwayne Haskins versus Joe Burrow. And the the spring game is in Tate Martell, of course. And uh, yeah, watch your mouth, Dan. The spring, game, but the spring game is always more interesting when there's a storyline or, or something like that uh, that you're really watching for. And there's no doubt that the number one storyline on Saturday is going to be how those quarterbacks perform. I mean, they're every single throw they make is going to be analyzed. Uh, I, I plan to do that. Uh, so uh, I don't mean that as a slight at anybody. I mean, that is the truth that uh, uh, it, it may just be an exhibition game. Uh, it may just be one small piece of the evaluation in the grand scheme of thing, but the rea- for reality of it is for most people outside the Woody Hayes athletic center, Saturday is going to be the only time that we see those guys throw until September 2nd when Ohio State opens the season on a Thursday night at Minnesota. So that means everything that happens on Saturday is going to be analyzed. And I do think it's it's important in the sense that none of these guys have ever thrown a pass in a game. So while there's a big difference between playing a spring game where they're going to be wearing black non-contact jerseys and they're not going to be getting hit to actually playing in a game that matters in September, it's still going to be an opportunity to see how these guys handle the spotlight of knowing, you know, there's fans watching in the stands, there's people watching on TV and that every throw they make is going to get scrutinized. Yeah. That's the thing about this one. It's interesting because it's been a while since we've had a situation like this where, every single quarterback going in was essentially just throwing passes on, on a blank slate. Like nobody, like you said, nobody's seen these guys throw passes outside of high school highlight videos. Like even when Justin Fields was, was playing quarterback, you know, you know, in, in his very first spring game, like we had seen him play at Georgia at least, or like when Dwayne Haskins was buying for the quarterback job, like we had just seen him beat Michigan. Like the, the fascinating thing here is, everybody's first impressions will be the only impressions until there isn't, there's a real game. I mean, that's, that's what's sort of, that's, that's the, that's the interesting part about this. And, and it's, you know, it's probably unfair, but, but you're right. This is, this is the real deal. And, and I think that everybody knows that. And, and I do think, like you mentioned, we'll get a handle on how they deal with the pressure because yeah, you're right. There is going to be a lot of pressure going into this one. Um, if, if for no other reason, then everybody knows, like this is going to be the one time, uh, before the season starts that you really 
on some type of stage where everybody's going to be grading you, not just the coaches. And this is the last time that, you know, this team is going to practice for another free month. So this is for each of those guys. If you're trying to make a statement to the coaches of this is why I should be the starting quarterback for Ohio state in 2021, this is your last time to really make that impression until preseason camp starts in August. And certainly over the next few weeks, the coaches, they're going to be looking back at every throw from the entire spring. And they're going to be using all of that in their evaluations as they start to kind of look ahead and see, okay, maybe who's, who's at the top of a pecking order right now, but this is kind of that last chance uh, to kind of make, uh, make a statement. So, you know, I think that, you know, that makes it important for these guys uh, because, you know, like we've talked about before on the show, you know, I do not think a decision on the quarterback is coming next week. I think this competition is absolutely going to proceed into August, but I do think that, you know, as of next week when spring ball is over and they start to, you know, really grade everything that happened this spring, that at that point, if you're Ryan day and you're Corey Dennis, at least in your heads, you're going to start to have an idea of, okay, who's number one, who's number two and who's number three. And certainly, you know, this is one piece of it, how these guys perform in the spring game. Dan, you've now seen three spring practices um, and, you know, the, the, the spring game will be your fourth, which is, you know, you'll have seen four out of 15 spring practices. And sure, you didn't actually get to see the entire spring practice of, of any of them, except for whatever we get on Saturday in the spring game. But I know you came out of Monday a little bit higher on Kyle McCord and, and maybe it was just, maybe it was just a reminder that sure. He's just a true freshman and, and CJ Stroud is the guy that everybody has, you know, assumed will eventually win the job. But like you, you I know you wrote about this on Monday, but I mean, I'll, I'll let you have the floor again because I think that you sort of want to make a point that, yeah, I mean, he's, he's right in it and, and his talent can't be overlooked. Just watching the practice, like just watching the guys throw, like the last period of practice we were there on Monday, they were doing, you know, what they called a half line drill where basically you had like three offensive linemen on each side of the field and you had, you know, one quarterback on one side, one on the other. And, you know, they, it was really, really kind of allowing those guys to get twice as many reps as they would if you had just one unit out there. And there were just a couple throws by Kyle McCord that made me say, you know, okay, like this guy's got a, this guy's got an arm. This guy can sling the ball. Like there was one deep ball to Chris Olave uh, that he threw, but it was just, it was just a perfectly placed ball. And, and it just made me think like, man, he could spin it. Uh, and, and I, and I think just, again, we're talking an extremely small sample size, but just watching those guys on that day, he was the only guy that made me say that. And it would happen a couple of times where just, again, they all, I'm not saying any of them had bad throws or that they didn't all have good throws. Just saying there are a couple moments there where you could see like, okay, like this guy's got, this guy's got some special arm talent. Like I really do see that in, in Kyle McCord. I think all these guys have, have good arm talent, but I, but you just, you see that in Kyle McCord that like there, there's some very real ability there. Like I, I wouldn't long-term we come out of this with these three guys as Kyle McCord being the guy who's maybe the most naturally gifted passer of the group. Uh, I, I think that's definitely something that could come to fruition. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best quarterback, especially not for this year because uh, he's a true freshman. He's still learning. And, you know, it, it does seem like Stroud and Miller are getting somewhat more of a first team reps than McCord are, is at this point. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see just how they break it down on Saturday. I'm going to assume that they're going to try to get all three of those guys basically about as equal number of snaps as possible, but it's going to be interesting just to see like how they do it. Like, do they, do they constantly switch the guys between Scarlet, the Scarlet and the gray teams uh, to get them, you know, the same number of snaps or series with the first team offense and the second team offense. Just how do they do that? Like that I think is going to be telling just how they do that because uh, if it's truly an, an even competition between the three guys, then, you know, you're going to obviously want to get them basically the same, same opportunities in this game. If, if that doesn't happen, then I, I think that could be somewhat of a lens into kind of at least, you know, where they're looking at things right now. I don't want to overdo it on quarterback discussions. I have a, uh, I have an inkling that next week we're going to do a lot of quarterback talk, but we will. Else, elsewhere in, in practice um, on Monday, what did you see that, that has sort of stuck with you in the 24 plus hours since? Well, I think the thing that stuck with people who read my practice report was the fact that Julian Fleming was not with either the first or the second team receivers uh, during, you know, a drill that they were doing on Monday because uh, the first team receivers out there were, were Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and those two outside and then Jackson Swift and Jigba in the slot. And then the second team receivers were Jamison Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. outside and Emeka Buka in the slot. And, you know, I think immediately as soon as I, I published my practice report, I didn't even mention his name in there. And the first couple of replies I got were, what happened to Julian Fleming? Why isn't Julian Fleming in the first two units? And I, I fully expected that. I knew, I knew those replies were coming because, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's the highest rated wide receiver Ohio State has ever recruited. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a top five overall prospect in his class. So understandably, the expectations for Julian Fleming have been extremely high from a moment he stepped on campus. And therefore, if he's not a key player in the rotation this year, the natural reaction a lot of people are going to have is what's wrong with Julian Fleming. Um, you know, and I, I, I had heard that, you know, you know, he had had an off season surgery, but he's still uh, working his way back from. So I think, you know, that, that could be a factor here that, you know, maybe he's just not uh, fully healthy, but, you know, I, I would also say that this, that, I know that, you know, the expectation is like the guy's a five-star recruit and, and he should, you know, he should be out there, but personally, and like, I'm not, I'm not even trying to like spin this. I think if Julian Fleming isn't playing a lot this year, I think it has less to say about Julian Fleming as it does about just how loaded this receiver core is because, I mean, we know Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be playing a lot. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba seems like a guy who who's been primed to to make a rise really quickly since he stepped on campus. So to see him out there with the first team doesn't surprise me one bit. Jamison Williams, another guy who's whether he starts or not, he's a lock to be in the rotation. And then, I mean, I've been you know we talked about it last week. I I really like what I've seen from Marvin Harrison Jr. and I really like what I've heard about Marvin Harrison Jr. and so. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is making a very real push for playing time this year. And the reality is that if he does, that's probably going to come at Julian Fleming's expense because it looks like right now, like they, you know, they might be looking at moving Garrett back outside, which I know 
Colin, you had theorized at one point, and then, you know, starting Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. And if they do that, if you've got Olave and Wilson and Jamison Williams, that only leaves one spot on the 2D for another outside receiver. And that means it's really Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Julian Fleming. And I think the way Marvin Harrison Jr. has done so far in practice has made it a real possibility that maybe Julian Fleming isn't on the two deep this year. And if that happens, I'm not sure that's an indictment on Fleming. I think it's just a reflection of how loaded this receiver room is. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting position that he's in um, because he does come in like like you said, like in the modern recruiting era, there have only been two players that have ever signed with Ohio State that have been ranked as high as as Julian Fleming was as a recruit. Like we're talking about Ohio State here. Like, like Chase Young wasn't ranked as high. Nick Bosa wasn't ranked as high. Jack Sawyer not as high. Like all of these studs who come in, they weren't ranked as high as Julian Fleming. So I do think there is something to be said about the fact that he's maybe a little bit behind where we all thought he would be right now. And I do think you can say that while also not insulting him and saying that he's a bust and something is terrible has happened. He's never going to break through because we've seen many a time. Um, I mean, Zach Harrison, he certainly hasn't broken through. He's entering his third year. He was also a, a super highly rated uh, five-star recruit who we see in his third year. You know, you're, you're getting the signs that things are starting to click for him. And if that's the case for Zach Harrison, you know, that can be the case for Julian Fleming in year two. Like we haven't even gotten, you know, he's halfway to where Zach Harrison is right now. And there's still certainly a lot of, you know, promise and potential around Zach Harrison. So I, I think if you're pressing the panic button on Julian Fleming, you're wrong to do that. If you're noting the fact that he seems a little off course about where maybe we thought he would be right now, that's where I think, you know, I, I would probably agree with you right there. Um, and, and maybe, like you said, an off-season surgery has something to do with that. Maybe it's just the fact that you look around and, like you said, the room's loaded. I mean, if here's the thing about the the about where Ohio State is at wide receiver. If you trust Brian Hartline and what he's bringing in, then maybe if someone doesn't click, maybe if someone doesn't have it, and maybe if someone doesn't become the guy who you imagine recruiting uh, when you're following them as a recruit, they will. I feel like you can feel pretty confident that somebody else in the room will be a really, really good player and that won't hurt Ohio State. And that's one of the things that as we talk about the wide receiver position this year, next year going forward, as long as Brian Hartline is continuing to do what Brian Hartline has done, I don't know exactly how it'll shake out, but with what he's doing and collecting talent, it's hard to not look at this, this room and say like maybe someone gets squeezed out in a way that we don't see coming and Ohio State's wide receivers are still some of the very best in the country, and ultimately it doesn't really hurt the Buckeyes. And I think we would both agree on this, and I think most of our listeners would agree on this as too, is that the best guys should play, regardless of how old they are, regardless of how highly recruited they are, the best guys should play. So if Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than Jamison Williams right now, then Jackson Smith and Jigba should start over Jamison Williams. If a freshman is better than Julian Fleming – then a freshman should play over Julian Fleming. And again, I think, you know, you've got an embarrassment of riches in this room. You know, we might not be having this conversation right now if Chris Olave had decided to enter the NFL draft. But the fact that Chris Olave is back, it makes this room just so deep and so loaded that 
somebody's going to be out the outside looking in. I mean, that's why we're talking about G Scott, maybe playing tight end because it, the vast majority of schools in the country, G Scott going into his second year is probably a starting wide receiver at Ohio state. He might not even play this year, That that's just the reality of how much talent Brian Hartline has collected in that re- receiver room. And, you know, we've talked about before, but there's just, there's not going to be enough reps to go around for everybody because we're talking about all of this and we're still talking about what's likely just a small portion of snaps because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are so good that you're just not going to take those guys off the field that much. So what did you think about Garrett Wilson getting some reps on the outside and did that look like what they were just doing on a given day because he's always been able to play inside and outside or did that look like to you something that, you know, might be something they do more often in 2021 than they did in 2020. Well, I have now noticed it at two straight practices because I noticed it. I honestly noticed it like watching videos from practice after the fact, the, the second practice we went to. So I was like, okay, let me make sure like I look for this next time and, and see if he's mostly lining up outside. And, and he was on Monday. So m- my guess is, you know, that is the plan that, you know, they're looking at. And I know like you had suggested that to me before, but you thought like that could be what they'd ultimately do is move him outside and I love start Smith and Jigba in the slot. And like, you know, to me, I think the good thing there is those two guys, particularly they've both played both outside and inside. So they've got that versatility there where I think you can mix and match them if you want to, you know, maybe just depending on who you play, maybe a matchup might make you think, okay, maybe this game, it makes more sense to have Garrett in the slot and Jackson outside. So I think it gives you some ability to mix and match those guys, you know, based on how they might match up with defenses as well as with the depth chart behind them. Because, you know, like I look at it, like we were just talking about, you know, the challenge of like Marvin and Julian on the outside, like you might have more depth outside than you do in the slot right now. Though I think a Mecca Buka is a guy he just lost his black stripe on Tuesday. I think he's pushing at that slot position as well, but I think it gives them options. You know, I think it gives them uh, the flexibility uh, to, to move guys around. Then it's like pick your poison if you're a defense, because they've, they've got so many weapons out there, but I do think, you know, it seems like, you know, moving Garrett to the outside could be the plan for this year. And, you know, I think it makes, you know, I think it makes sense. You know, I think, I think he's a guy, it's not going to matter where you line him up. He's going to make plays. I mean, he's, he's, he's so talented that, you know, I, I don't think it really matters what position he lines up at. I think he's going to make plays one way or another, but to me, I, I think that probably is your, your best trio of starters. But if the game's on the line, the three guys I probably want on the field are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And obviously Smith and Jigba is way less proven than those two guys, but just from the flashes we've seen from him, he's the guy I keep going back to is the guy that I think is going to have a real breakout year in that room. You know, I think Jamison Williams is a solid player, but I don't think he made the kind of jump that certainly I was expecting from him last year. So to me, I think, you know, that third spot in the starting lineup should be wide open for somebody to go seize it. And I think if Jackson Smith and Jigba can seize it, I think that alignment of having Olave and Wilson outside opposite each other, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba in that slot. Well, oh yeah, you've also got uh, Jeremy Ruckert out there at tight end. I mean, I was just about to say, I mean, we're basically talking about how is Ohio state going to align the four first round picks they have at 
wide receiver and tight end. Like, uh, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because it's going to be great. Like that's, that's like the dumbest analysis. And that's like, sometimes what you get into at the Ohio state where it's like, Oh, everything is great. But like this, this is crazy. This is crazy. It absolutely should be the best receiving core in the country this year. And it, you know, it, it just, it makes you, I, to me, I think it gives you so much more confidence when you have an inexperienced quarterback coming in, knowing that he's just got a ridiculous group of weapons to throw the ball to. Yeah. I sort of, I, you know, I, I want to dig into this over the next, you know, few weeks when spring practice wraps up, but like, I think there's a chance Ohio state might have the best duo of wide receivers, the best tight end and the best duo of offensive tackles in the country. Like, I think that's totally on the table for this team, um, which is, you know, sort of nuts. Um, and, and also like, if you're talking about implementing a new quarterback into the mix, uh, yeah, there are worse times to, to do that than right now. And I agree with that. I agree with what you said there. I think the offensive tackles are elite. I think Ruckert's elite. And I think uh, those wide receivers are certainly elite. So the offensive line outside of those offensive tackles is a little bit interesting right now um, because I've long been very confident that the three starters on the inside in some, some capacity will be Matthew Jones, Harry Miller, and Paris Johnson. Um one way or another, I felt like those three guys would be the starters. And sitting here on April 13th as we record this, I still think those three are going to be the starters. But I wrote this last week, and, and I, I think that if someone would have told me like that they're projecting either Luke Wipler or is that how we're saying it now, Dan? Because that seemed I was to be still rolling with Whipler, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. All right. We're going to call him Luke on this podcast <laughs> because we're only 50-50. We've gone Farrell's Whipler. gone now, so... It works. Yeah, we've gone Whipler ever since he committed. And then, you know, the sports information director on his press conference was making a note to call him Wipler. And now I'm a little confused. So we're going to need to go get confirmation of that. Uh, and, and as we do that, we'll call him Luke on this podcast. So I think he and Josh Fryer, you know, the, the way that the coaches have talked about them, um, I might have said that someone was a little bit crazy to predict that one of those two would be starters over the three interior linemen that we've all projected would be starters uh, up until the past few weeks. And it really does feel like those three have put themselves right in the mix. And I don't know if they'll be able to get over the hump because if you think about what Paris Johnson is, uh, you know, one of the best offensive linemen, line recruits to come in recent years. Uh, if you think about Matthew Jones and, and, and the starts that he had uh, three of them last season, including in the college football playoff, you think about Harry Miller being a starter last year after coming in as a five-star, like these are legit guys uh, they're not just some random three-star that happens to, you know, have some experience there. They are legit dudes. Uh, but Josh Fryer and, and, and Luke, as we'll call him, uh, they, they seem to be making some sort of push. Do you, where, where do you come out on the, the, the chances that they actually can start this season? I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I'm, 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 I'm convinced that this is a real competition now at the left guard and, and center spots. And uh, yeah, I mean, if, if I is put making a depth chart projection right now, I think I'm still probably siding with some combination of Harry Miller and Matthew Jones at left guard and center. But that could change next week. I mean, that could change next week based on how they do in, in the spring game. I'm, I I think it's a real competition. I'm I'm not totally sold anymore that that Harry Miller and Matthew Jones are the top guys there. Now, again, I mean. You know, Greg Stadrawa, when he was talked last week and he was asked about Harry Miller, he 
said Harry will absolutely be right back in the mix. And he thinks Harry will probably be one of the best five. So, you know, that was a seemingly an endorsement right there that like, there's a very good chance Harry Miller is going to be a starter this year. And again, I would still expect that, but I do think those two are making a, I think those two are making a push. You know, I think, I think, you know, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I'm surprised, you know, shocked that, uh, that Luke is, is in this mix at this point, because I mean, again, I mean, you talked about that recruiting accolades of, you know, those other guys, but uh, I think, you know, I mean, Luke, I mean, Luke was one of the top centers in his class too. So, I mean, he, he's a guy who's certainly, you know, always been expected to be a future impact player at Ohio state. I don't know if we were predicting year two, but uh, it does sound like, you know, maybe he's a little bit ahead of where, you know, they expected he would be at this point, And that's, uh, you know, putting him in the real mix here to compete for one of these jobs. And then, you know, Josh Fryer, I mean, he's a guy who was not a, a particularly highly touted recruit, but, you know, I mean, I, I think all the way back to last year, I remember him being one of the first freshmen to lose his black stripe. And, and he seems to be a guy who's like really ahead of schedule at this point where, uh, you know, I think he was brought in as more of a developmental guy. And I think what he's shown so far is, uh, you know, making him a guy who's a real candidate uh, to start here. And if, if not this year, then he's probably going to be uh, in line for that kind of role in the future. So uh, I think it's a real competition uh, at left guard and center. I think, I think Paris is a lock to start at right guard, unless uh, something happens there, or if something happens at tackle and they need to move him outside. I think uh, in terms of competition, I think Paris is a lock to start at right guard. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that, but, Paris Johnson is going to be a starter this year, but I think uh, Harry Miller and Matthew Jones, I think they're still going to have to compete in August uh, if they're going to win starting jobs. Yeah. And, and if I were ranking them, I feel pretty confident that Harry Miller is going to start. And I think that Greg Sadrawa almost went out, almost basically said Harry Miller is going to start and then held back because you don't really want to say that. But even when, you know, Luke was talking about, you know, starting jobs, he said there are two openings and you can take that to mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. You can take that to mean maybe Paris Johnson has it locked up, but given the fact that Harry Miller was a starter last year, I sort of took it to mean that Harry Miller has that job locked up. Um, and it's the other two spots that, that they're competing for. Um, so to me, a lot of this comes down to, can somebody show right now and then in the off season and then leading into the preseason that they just can't be kept off the field. And I think that that's, Matthew Jones, I think, has an edge there. But if, if Luke shows that he has really made progress and it seems like he has, and we've, you know, he's been getting a lot of first team reps this spring, uh, in large part because Harry Miller's absence this spring has, has allowed Ohio State to get creative and, and give a lot of guys opportunities. Um, but if he really shows that, I, I'm certainly not ruling it out. I mean, these guys, you know, Luke was a, you know, he was a one of those guys who Ohio State has been really successful bringing in lately. And they're like a top two center who can play guard, who can play center. Um, and I think that that versatility allows him to, to, to play either of those. And, you know, I probably, I, I was very confident that, that he would be a backup earlier this, this, uh, this year. And I'm no, I'm no longer there. I think he will be a backup, but I, I'm open. I'm open to the possibility of him, him starting. I think the other thing that's interesting with the offensive line right now is there seems to be a lot of guys who could potentially line up at, various different spots you know i mean mm -hmm. you know paris you know they still you know still always talk about you know he's a guy who could still move out to tackle if needed you know dewan jones is a guy who was expected to be in that guard competition but he was out there at right tackle on uh monday with uh, nicholas petit frere not practicing 
Uh, Enoch Vamahi is a guy who I thought was really, you know, strictly a guard. He was out practicing at left tackle with the second team on Monday. You know, Josh Fryer's a guy who could still play both guard and tackle. You know, we talked about those interior guys. I mean, I think Harry Miller will start. I really don't know whether it's going to be center or left guard where he starts, though. You know, Matthew Jones is another guy who can play both of those spots. So they've got a lot of guys uh, that kind of have this multi-position versatility. And, you know, I think that's important in, in terms of depth for this offensive line. You know, they did lose uh, one veteran backup uh, this past week with Max Ray entering the transfer portal. And, you know, not a huge surprise there. You know, I don't think, I don't think Max Ray was ever going to be a starter at Ohio state at this point in his career. I think they just have uh, too much other talent. And I think he wants to go somewhere else where he has a chance to be a starter and, and who could blame him uh, for that. Uh, but, you know, I think having these guys who can play multiple different spots really helps in, in terms of the depth there. Cause I think if, you know, if you were just making like a straight two deep right now and you were just saying everybody could only play one position, like, you know, maybe you look at tackle and maybe you have some question marks uh, because you've got Paris Johnson and Barrett guard. But I think when you factor in the fact that you can move guys around in order to get your best five, depending on who you have available, then I think you feel pretty good when you look at who, you know, that top eight, nine guys are between Thayer and NPF and Paris and Harry and Matthew Jones and, Luke Whipler or Wipler and uh, Josh, Josh Fryer and, you know, Dewan Jones and Enoch Bamahi. You've got a lot of guys there who are talented guys, but I think you feel pretty confident that even if you have some injuries, Ohio state's going to be able to put a strong offensive line out there all season. Oh, I think the offensive line wide receiver room and um, running back room are all in to me a spot in which I don't a hundred percent know how it's going to shake out, but because of the talent, because of the options, because of the versatility, I feel extremely confident that no matter how it shakes out, those units will be very good. I just think that this is one of those situations where you, you know, you, you don't say it all the time. Um, and I certainly wouldn't say it for, for most positions on defense and um, like tight end, something like that. But, but I think that those three position groups right now, it's one of those things where it, you know, it's interesting to follow, you know, I don't a hundred percent know the personnel there uh, that, that, that will ultimately play the most, but you have to feel really confident in the guys that they have um, because it feels like they're, they're about as well positioned as position groups as you can be in this day and age of, of transfers. Now we also talked to Larry Johnson and the defensive lineman last week. And the guy who's gotten a lot of hype, we talked about it a little bit last week. Uh, but we also, you know, talked to Larry Johnson and Teron Vincent himself about it is Teron Vincent. And, you know, he seems like a guy who, you know, going into his fourth year, obviously his first three years at Ohio State haven't quite lived up to expectations as a five-star guy. But it feels like there's very real uh, hype building up there. What are you expecting from Teron Vincent this year, Colin? Yeah, it's hard to know. You know, I think that he is the prototypical three technique. And I think that if you're pairing him um, with, with Haskell Garrett, like that's a, that's really good. I think, you know, just the, in the Larry Johnson interview, you know, talking to everybody else, um, hearing about how Teron is, has sort of ascended 
I get a feeling that this defensive line could be really good. And, and, you know, I look at, I look at the interior where I see what Haskell Garrett did last season. You know, I feel like Jerron cage and Antoine Jetson will be able to provide, you know, really solid options in the middle. You think about Teron Vincent as a breakout candidate. You think about Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison as a breakout candidate. You know, you have Jack Sawyer there, Javante Jean Baptiste. I, I, I think this, def- I think this defensive side of the ball, it needs something to hang its hat on. And at linebacker, there's far too much inexperience to feel like that's, you know, a, a, a big positive right now. I think in the defensive backfield, obviously, there are a lot of questions about how that's going to shake out. I really am looking to, to this defensive line and a guy like Teron Vincent maybe breaking through as, as what could and, and should be the strength of this defense. I think it's the p- position group I feel the best about, too, because they do have a lot of veterans there that are experienced guys. You know, I think. Uh, you know, we've talked about it, you know, guys like Zach Harrison and, and Tyreek Smith and Teron Vincent could be another one of those guys. But I think we need to see some of these guys. Uh, yeah, it's all make, improving. That's the thing yeah, with, with yeah. a lot of them. It's all, I mean, it's they, all we need, they need more stars. They need more stars because, you know, I think they've got one right now in Haskell Garrett. And I think they need more. I mean, because you you lost Jonathan Cooper, you lost Tommy Togiai. So I think you need more stars to emerge. But I think the pieces are there. Uh, for this to be a really good defensive line. And I think, you know, what I'm interested in, you know, really is just to see, you know, how are these rotations going to work out? You know, cause I think you could put the pieces together at defensive tackle. I think the four guys who are going to play the most are going to be in some combination of Haskell Garrett to Ron Vincent, Antoine Jackson and Jerron cage. And I, I would guess, you know, it, it would seem like Haskell's going to start at free tech Toronto back him up. And then, I don't really Antoine or Jerron who's going to start at nose. I don't know there. My guess is though they're both going to play about the same amount of snaps and in kind of a true rotation, kind of like we had seen with, you know, Devon Hamilton and Robert Landers in the past at that spot. And I, I also think, you know, you know, it, it was kind of hard to tell based on what people were saying, but my feeling is at least situationally, there could be times where you see Haskell and Tehran on the field together. Uh, especially if the way that they're talking about Tehran right now, you know, maybe it's only in, in pass rushing type situations, but I, I do think there could be times where, you know, those two guys are on the field together because I do think, you know, again, a guy like Haskell Garrett, he's going to play the majority of snaps because he's earned that at this point. I think, th- I think figuring out the snaps is, is a little bit tough at defensive tackle right now, but I also think like this is a situation where Larry Johnson loves to rotate and it'll be fine yeah. um, because you know, if, if Teron is the guy who we think that Teron could be if healthy and the way that they're talking about him right now, they'll find a way to play those two guys together at some points in the game because they are, you know, it, you know, Haskell Garrett, I do think is, is somebody who could play the one technique at times. You know, I, I, I still want to see Teron do that before we actually see that actually, you know, before I believe that that's going to happen. Um, but I do think those guys are, those guys can play together and on, on the right downs. Um, and, you know, they're just, they're in a really good spot at defensive tackle right now. If Teron can be the kind of guy that we've thought Teron could end up as. And also like, I continue to forget that JTT uh, could be added to this mix at some point. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they're going to have uh again, another talent where they're going to be absolutely loaded with depth. If, if they end up adding JT to Molowell, uh, whenever he makes his decision in June or whatever, but, you know, speaking of five-star freshmen, I think the other storyline of the defensive line, that's just really interesting to me right now is what is Jack Sawyer's role 
going to look like? Because I do believe there's going to be one. I mean, even Larry Johnson, I asked him last week, I said, does he have to convince you to, you know, to get him on the field? And he said, he doesn't have to convince me. We're going to find a role for him if he earns it. So the, the way he answered that question told me, yeah, they expect Jack Sawyer to play. He's, he's going to play. How much is he going to play? What exactly is his role going to be? I don't know, because they, they do have, you know, four returning veterans at that defensive end spot with Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, and Javante Jean-Baptiste. But if Jack Sawyer's as good as I think he's going to be, and, and most people think he's going to be, he's a guy who has the potential to make an immediate difference for his defensive line. And I think they have to find a way to, to figure out how to maximize that in 2021. Yeah, I think they will. I personally, I haven't, you know, I'm not going to go overboard on expecting that to Jack Sawyer to do really much of anything as a true freshman, because like you look back at the most recent five-star defensive ends um, and, and, you know, a uh, Zach Harrison, uh, a Chase Young, even guys on the edge, like a Tyreek Smith, a Jonathan Cooper, you know, those guys weren't super impactful as, as true freshmen, you know, Zach Harrison, obviously, you know, he started against Clemson um, as a true freshman, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy. And at the same time, you know, his freshman year, there are not a lot of plays I can point back to and say, these were wow plays. You know, I, I think it's hard to expect a ton from a true freshman. The thing that's interesting about Jack Sawyer is, you know, we've been hearing about Jack Sawyer for so long. And like, you know, when Larry Johnson's talking about Jack Sawyer, it's essentially saying, you know, Jack Sawyer has been coming to camps all these many years he knows what I want in an offensive end. He knows some of the technique. He hasn't. He hasn't a, a little bit. Of, he's a little bit advanced in that re, in that respect compared to other true freshmen who come in. So I think that's the interesting thing uh, when it comes to somebody like a like a Jack Sawyer who's been able to camp at Ohio State uh, numerous times. Well, I think part of it to me too is, yeah, there's four returning veterans at defensive end, and I do expect some of them to make jumps this year. But I still feel like there's a little bit more of a window here for Jack Sawyer to come in and actually make a difference by playing we, you know, you look at a chase young in 2017. I mean, they had Nick Bosa, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, and Jalen Holmes as their top four defensive ends that year. I mean, that was a damn good quartet of defensive ends. These four are not at that level yet. I mean, they could get there. I'm not saying they won't, but these four are not at that level yet as a group. So to me, I look at it as, to me, I look at it and say, okay, a Javante Jean Baptiste, he's got potential, but he's got to make a big jump if he's the reason Jack Sawyer's not playing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And I think it's, you know, I think you're right in that, you know, there is no Chase Young on this team right now. Like maybe there's a Zach Harrison jump and he is a 12 sack guy. I don't know. Maybe that happens, but that doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a Chase Young in this group. And it's not a group where you have four guys who are top four round picks, um, who are definite top four round picks. Uh, and, and like you said, maybe both those things can happen, but neither of those are certainties. So I, so, so I do get the point that you're making that, you know, there does seem to be a little bit of an opening. Um, and it's sort of like the, I think Tony Alford said it, and I've referenced it several times. And it's like, if you want to play, like, show me you can play and, and there's an opening. Cause I, I do think that that exists uh, for Jack Sawyer, along with the others. Like, I, I still am interested in to see if, if something can click for Javante Jean Baptiste. Cause every time, you know, you, you forget about him a little bit. And then the first time you see him physically in person or on TV or anything, it's like, who is that guy? Because physically he's a, he's an absolute freak. Um, he's a freak of nature. I mean, he came in at, 
barely 200 pounds and now he's in the 250 pound range and he we talked about zach harrison being a, an athletic marvel and, and that's what jante is as well you mentioned tony offered saying show me you can play i think that's a good time to segue into travion henderson becoming one of the latest ohio state freshmen to lose his black stripe uh three more guys actually have lost their black stripe uh since our last episode travion henderson Ameka Buka and Reed Carrico. Uh, we mentioned Ameka a little bit earlier, but I think, you know, Travion's the guy who's really interesting in his group because, you know, you talked about it before and I agree with you. I think, you know, I feel good about the running back room where regardless of how it shakes out, I think they're going to be really good there because I just think they've got a lot of talented guys there. You know, I think, you know, there's a bunch of different combinations of guys who could potentially play there that, you know, we could give them a really good running back rotation and it doesn't necessarily need to be one guy, but I think there's still this prevailing sense of Travion Henderson might have something that's just a little bit different from the rest of those guys. And if he can get up to speed quickly, and if he can become a guy that can make a big impact as a freshman, that he could add a little something different than anybody else in that room. And I think the fact that he's already lost his black stripe would suggest that he's on that trajectory where that could be something that could maybe happen this year. Yeah. And I know Ryan day, when he was talking about him, he, you know, he talked about how he needs reps. He talked about, he's had a good work ethic. He's done everything they've asked of him so far, but even he couldn't help, but slip in the, the talents there. Like you, you, that that's evident to them in practice. Um, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Cause I'll be honest, like, I don't know for me per, for for me personally if there's somebody who I'm more excited to watch in a spring game than Travion Henderson, and that includes the quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean he's definitely right at the top of my list too because I just think you know he, he he's a guy that has so much ability, and I mean we've even just seen it even just in brief clips from practice that he's a guy who's already flashing. So uh, the vision of him potentially breaking off a a big play that gets the Ohio State. Fan base really excited on Saturday is one that feels very realistic to me. So, yeah, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, has a chance on Saturday to really uh, build some momentum for himself. And, and I think he already is building momentum for himself. So uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out because, I mean, but one thing I have noticed throughout the, the practice I've been to is uh, Master Teague has, has only been a limited participant in practice. He hasn't really been out there that much. Uh, but Mayan Williams has been consistently the guy leading the order at that group. So I really do feel like Mayan Williams is going to be involved in this thing this year. I, I really do. Can both Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson be involved in this thing? We'll see. Uh, we'll see. I think that's, that's the question I have right now. And obviously, you know, Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers are still pushing for this thing too. But those are just the two guys I keep going back to. Is like It feels like they really like Mayan and, and there's, really, there's really something there. Uh, that he could be an impact player for this team. And then, you know, I think with Travion, he's so talented. It's, it's, it's only a matter of time before he really is going to force his way onto the field. It really is an, an interesting spot because I'm, you know, the Master Teague thing, I feel like everybody has sort of just hit the wall and been like, you know, I think we know what Master Teague is. And I think the question that I, I wonder and I mean, I think you already start to see some 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 Ohio State fans starting to wonder for themselves is, are we going to get to a point this year where we're talking about is Master T keeping better running backs off the field? Because I think there's a definite chance 
that at some point this year, it becomes clear that the two best running backs on this team are Mayan Williams and Travian Henderson. Yeah. And, and also like, listen, Tuck Borland setting up a defense and being a leader is fine at middle linebacker. You don't need that at running back. You just need somebody who's going to run a dude over. Who's going to run around somebody to score a 70 yard touchdown. Um, so I think that master Teague has all of the qualities that you'd want in, 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 a, in a football player off of the field. I mean, you hear people talk about his work ethic. You look at his body and it's like, he isn't, he is, he is something else. Like Bruce Feldman does the freaks list. Uh, I, I expect to see Master Teague on that because the guy can run a sub 4-4 and he also looks like a Greek god, uh, which is like crazy. At the same time, when you watch them run, I don't. It, it, it's hard. It, it'll be hard to convince me if Master Teague is getting 20 carries a game in the fall that that's the best option. And, and I think that that's where I think that's where a lot of people I think that's where the vast majority of people are. And that's where the spring game is going to be fascinating to see. Um, and. I don't know how much tackling we're going to get to see. Hopefully uh, a little more than, than we've seen recent and in, in recent years. Uh, but my, Mayan's an interesting guy because Mayan came in with zero hype and then showed in the college football playoff that people need to take note of him. And Trayvon Anderson is the number one running back recruit in America. Um, and, and everybody, everybody is fascinated to see what he'll do. Two important points to add there though. Pass protection and ball security are, are two things that, are going to be very important here to the coaches in, in making this decision. It's not just about how, how many big plays they can make in the running game. It's also going to be about, are you someone we can consistently rely on not to turn over the ball? And are you someone we can consistently rely on in, in pass protection? I mean, those might be the reasons why Master Teague is the starting running back this year, because he might be the guy they trust the most. So I think for those other guys, and that's, this applies to all of our running backs. If, if you're going to get to a point where you're really pushing for that starting job, you've got to prove that you're a guy that you don't have to worry about him fumbling the ball and that they're going to be able to consistently do their job in pass protection. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he's, uh, uh, you know, that, that to me, though, is also a little bit of a prerequisite, especially if you're talking about the fact that you're going to need somebody who's reliable and that's to these young quarterbacks. I mean, you certainly can't have somebody who's a complete disaster in pass protection is fumbling the ball um, when you're going to have a first time starter who's throwing no passes in college football. But at the same time, I think that uh, maximizing your potential on the ground is also going to be important. So uh, that's something that I expect to hear the coaches say a lot. Uh, and I can't imagine that out of all of the other options that everybody's going to be fumbling the ball and a disaster and pass protection, except for Master Teague. So uh, I, want, I want to see how it plays out. And uh, the more and more, the, the, the longer it goes, I'm sort of right with you that I think the other guys are involved, sure. But to me, it's Master Teague, Mayan Williams, and Trayvon Henderson. It's the three guys I keep on coming back to as guys who I think are going to lead the team in carries in the fall. Whatever stat I want to mention before we kind of really preview this spring game on Saturday, there have now been more freshmen who have lost their black stripes this spring five than had ever lost their black stripe in the spring combined in all the previous years since this became a thing when Urban Meyer implemented it in 2012. So I don't know if that means Ryan Day is making it easier for guys to get uh, their, their black stripes removed. It also might just simply be the fact that one, there's a ton of early enrollees. There haven't always been 15 early enrollees at Ohio State, but there are this year. And two, this early class of early enrollees, I mean, could be really damn good. I mean, we've known that 
uh, for a while now. And I think, you know, if you look at all five guys who have lost their black stripes, Jack Sawyer, Marvin Harrison, Travion Henderson, Emeka Buka, and, and Reed Carrico, I can't say I'm surprised by any of those five guys because I think that those are all guys that we have really high expectations for what they can accomplish in their Ohio State careers. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of all of those factors. Uh, Same. Unless Ohio State football is getting soft, uh, in which case uh, that's that's a problem. But I uh, I don't think that a I don't think a black stripe removal is going to uh, cause this team to make or or miss the college football playoff. All right, so you already teased this with Travion Henderson, but other than the quarterbacks, who else are you most excited to watch on Saturday? Okay, so like my answer is Travion Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, you know, I, I was trying to like just quickly just go through the roster and think of someone else. No, I don't. It's Trayvon Henderson. I don't. That's the guy I've kept on coming back to. Uh, it's Trayvon Henderson. Is Mayan Williams? Um, I want to see these running backs uh, and, and what they are because we've seen a couple carries from Mayan Williams. We've seen literally nothing from Trayvon Henderson, and there is nothing more that these two want to do than show the world that they belong. Uh, at Ohio as Ohio State starting running back. I mean, we've seen. I mean, Trayvon Henderson has basically said that he just wants to prove uh, what what his ranking is. He wants to prove that that he deserves the ball. Uh, he said that when he was going into the first paddock practices, and I assume that he's going to take that exact same angle when he goes into the spring game. And Mayan Williams has been all about proving the doubters wrong since he's been at Ohio State, and he has continually proved the doubters wrong. So I don't know how much tackle we're going to see, and I don't know how much that affects the run game. Uh, also, if you're going to base all of your opinions on a running back based on a spring game with uh, partial tackling, that would probably be uh, misguided. But I don't know how my answer is not going to be one of those two guys. All right, well, I've got some others. I mean, one for me is Paris Johnson. I mean, we're talking about the first opportunity to really watch this guy play at guard, and we know – how high the expectations are for him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he looks uh, at that guard spot on Saturday. I think you guys know I'm going to say Jack Sawyer because uh, I have very high expectations for Jack Sawyer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him and his uh, first action in the shoe on Saturday. Uh, I'm also going to say uh, these free freshman receivers. I mean, two of them have already lost their black stripes, uh, Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if those guys can make some plays. Jaden Boward, we haven't heard as much about him yet, but I mean, he's a guy who's also got a uh, big play ability. So intrigued to see if we see him make any plays. And then I really just got to say the entire secondary in general, because we talked about all these receivers they're going to be going up against. And we know that that's a group uh, that needs to be better this year. So I want to see, can those guys make some plays? Uh, can, can those guys break up some passes, make some interceptions? There's going to be so much focus on the quarterbacks but you know the the funny thing about a spring game is there's always a positive and a negative like on one hand it would be great if all the quarterbacks lighted up on the other hand that might mean the secondaries got big problems again so it's like you you never want one side of a ball or or one unit to look too good here because if so that probably means the unit they're going up against has some problems or it means literally nothing because it's the spring game, but we get to analyze it for five months and make every single generalization for the next five months based on what happens in a spring game. One of those two. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Scarlet or gray wins it. The, the final score doesn't matter. Even the stats really don't matter. 
it's just it, it's kind of an opportunity to you know see like who flashes or who 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 shows that's what it's something. about that's what it's about i don't think that we're going to learn anything about uh the the position groups and like which is strong and what but if someone flashes something um that's a good sign. And, and maybe it's just a couple plays. Uh, I think a guy that I will be interested in is I, and you know, these are the things that, where it's like, when you're talking about starters, it's hard to know how much they'll play in a spring game because there's only minor benefit to, to playing them uh, <laughs> more than like 10 plays in a spring game. But I want to see if we see anything new uh, from Zach Harrison as a pass rusher, uh, because we've heard about Zach Harrison. We've heard about him, you know, uh, changing his body a little bit. We've heard about him as, as somebody who's really gotten after it in the weight room. I want to see what he looks like. And the same thing goes with Teron Benson. So I think that the spring game is good for essentially it, it, to me, to me, what I like to do is all the guys that we've been hearing about making plays. I just want to see them do it. I think, I think it's, it's almost confirmation bias, which is why the spring game is bad in terms of evaluating stuff, because you either get confirmed what you believe, or then you're like, Oh no, this is probably bad for for Ohio State. Uh, but I think that I think that those are the other two guys who I'd point out. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I mean, we're not going to see those guys play in the second half. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of the guys who are starters uh, will probably only play a half. There's going to be you know a lot of substitution. So you know, you might see you know some of these guys we're talking about. You might see them make big plays against a walk on. You know, I mean, there's going to be you know they're going to try to get everybody who's available to play they're going to try to get them out there for uh, at least some snaps so there's going to be a lot of substitutions and like I said because of that you, you can't you can't really make uh, big generalizations about position groups or you know which unit is better or whatnot it's more about uh you know who's going to flash and you know uh we still don't know at this point whether it's going to be uh full tackling or not my feeling is if they're not sure at this point that probably means we're not going to see full tackling on saturday but i uh, I guess we'll see, but, you know, in terms of a format of the spring game, I know we were asked by uh, Ohio against the world about that. You know, that's the understanding uh, that, you know, Ryan Day basically said uh, they're going to divide them up into the scarlet and gray teams and they'll probably play that way for a half. And then it sounded like probably in the second half, it'll probably be more mixing and matching of guys uh, between teams uh, as they take some of the starters out and just try to uh, obviously get guys the number of reps that they want to get for each guy, because ultimately it doesn't matter which color wins. It matters about getting guys reps and having an opportunity to evaluate them in this setting. The other kind of, the other question from Ohio against the world was, you know, if you were drafting, the simple question is who's your best guess as to who has a breakout performance. But the other question is if you were drafting and had the number one pick in the spring game last two years, it certainly would have been Justin Fields. Who would you go with this year? Yeah, second one's fun because I've thought about, I know we'll do our draft exercise at some point this summer, and I've thought about how that's going to be a lot more fun this year than it's been the last two years because the past two years it was like, okay, whoever gets the, whoever wins the coin flip picks Justin Fields and they win. Whereas this year it's not like that at all. And like I've even thought about it, it's like there is no clear-cut number one pick on this team. There really isn't because, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a, it's a lot more – comparable uh you know between positions this year i don't think you know there is that one guy that like if he's on either team he's gonna swing it in that direction for the team so i think uh, that'll make it a lot of fun when we do do uh, that draft later this summer to kind of see 
It's all. It's also pretty deep. I think that that tells you about the depth because if you look at wide receiver, it's like, you know, you have two guys and Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave who are studs. You know, you have two offensive tackles who are studs. I think tight end might be the one area where, you know, if you have Jeremy Record, then the other team has a completely unproven guy there. But, you know, even at defensive end, like if you take Zach, Zach Harrison, you know, there's Tyreek Smith. You know, if you take Haskell Garrett, we've heard really good things about Teron Vincent. So maybe he's the best defensive tag on the team. Like that, I do think it tells you about positional depth too. Right. Like, you know, to me, like the obvious answer, if I was just going for like, who's the best player on the team, I'd say Chris Olave. But there's so much talent at wide receiver, but I don't know if that's my answer. So I'll think about that more before we do our, our draft over the summer. But I would say right now, just off the top of my head, like if I'm picking a team for the spring game, who's the number one guy, I'm going to take Fair Munford because Fair Munford uh, is your most experienced player. He's a proven starter at, at left tackle. And so if I'm picking a guy to just go out there and win a spring game, I'm going to take Fair okay. Munford. So that's a great pick. Uh, and the issue is that I didn't view it like you did because I think Thayer Munford plays like five snaps in the spring game. So I don't want him. I want Travion Henderson first because Travion Henderson will come out with a vengeance. And I know that Travion Henderson wants to run for 400 yards. And I know that Travion Henderson is going to play a lot of snaps. Uh, so Travion Henderson, Dan, I don't know if this shocks you, but I might be a little interested to see what Travion Henderson can do in a spring game setting. I think Travion Henderson is pulled ahead of Paris Johnson and your favorite player no no here's the thing is that i don't care about the offensive and the offensive line that much in the spring game because i just don't believe that the offensive line play in the spring game will translate to anything that we see in the fall so to be quite honest and the quarterback's not getting yeah and i'm i'm an offensive line guy but uh i have no interest really in an offensive line during a spring game so you know we were also asked about who do you think will be the offensive and defensive stars of a spring game i feel like We've kind of covered this already. I think your pick number one is Travion Henderson. Uh, no, he's not going to be my guy because I decided to diversify all right, this. Go man. for it. I got names. All right. I If you're going to let me pick first, then I'm going to steal your guy. What's that? I'm going to take Jetson Smith and Jigba. Oh, well, you didn't steal my guy because I'm going – I ah. I mean, I, I said it last <laughs> week. I'm not going to deviate from what I said last week. I'm going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think we're going to see a big day from Marvin Harrison Jr. in Saturday's spring game. Who's – Who's your defensive star? Defensive star. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Leif and Ransom because we've heard all this buzz about Leif and Ransom this spring, and I want to see if it translates over to Saturday. If he can make an interception or or some other kind of big play uh, that shows why everyone's talking about him right now. Yeah, I think he's a good pick. I was considering Craig Young as well, and that's partially just because I just want to see what Craig Young does, where he is, where he lines up. Because I think that's interesting. But if we're talking about star, I'll go with Josh Proctor. Um, because I think Josh Proctor has been a little bit overlooked by the fact that there's so much intrigue about who else is going to be around Josh Proctor and Josh Proctor's going to play a lot. He's going to be the starting, you know, free safety for this team come the fall. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen him get his hands on a lot of balls. The matter is the question of the matter is, will he actually catch them or will they fall to the fall to the ground? And so I think that this is an opportunity for him to make an interception or two. Now, while we're on the topic of DBs, we did get a couple other questions this week about the defense and this first one uh i told colin we needed to think about this before because i didn't want us to spend half an hour thinking through it on the show but uh, so, instead we spent a half hour thinking about it yes. off the show because it's an impossible yes. question <laughs> it, it's a very good question though from Minbuck. he said order the following dbs based on the number of defensive snaps parentheses before the game is out of reach in the 2021 season 
Marcus Williamson, Tyreek Johnson, Ronnie Hickman, Bryson Shaw, Legend Cavazos, Cameron Martinez, Ryan Watts, and Court Williams. Like Colin said, this was a very difficult question for me because, you know, I, I think that the hard thing is like, we don't know exactly how they're going to rotate guys at various positions. And then I think to some respect for most of these guys, I think most of these guys are going to be backups. So I think to some respect, it really depends on do the starters in front of them stay healthy all year? Because I think some of these guys are absolutely next man up at a position where if somebody goes down, uh, they might have to play more, but if the starter in front of them stays healthy, they might not play much at all. But regardless, I mean, to me, the number one guy for me is Marcus Williamson because he is the only guy on this list that we were given of guys who has actually been a starter and has actually played a lot. I don't know if he's going to be a starter this year because I think, you know, Lathan Ransom is, is pushing for his job. But I do think regardless, there is going to be a role for Marcus Williamson that gets him on the field on a regular basis. Yeah, I don't I don't know how people how most other people think about Marcus Williamson, but if you just you know the list of names that you that that you gave, these are eight eight defensive backs. He is the one of the eight defensive backs that I would look at and say something doesn't have to go wrong or someone doesn't have to get hurt for Marcus Williamson to start. Like Marcus Williamson just might be a starter. And I can't imagine it's it's hard for me to imagine any of these other guys starting in week one without somebody getting hurt ahead of them. So I, I agree. I think there's a pretty clear cut favorite here and it's, and it's Marcus Williamson. Yeah. I put Ronnie Hickman at number two, because I think he's the guy of these other guys who I think is most likely to, to be in that starting lineup. Uh, I don't know what he is going to be, but you know, he has been getting a lot of first team reps at that uh, safety or whatever spot you want to call it. Uh, that Craig Young is also at. And so I put him at number two because he, he does seem like a guy who's making a push uh, for a significant role this year. I wouldn't project him as a starter right now, but I do, I do think that he's a guy who could have a fairly regular role on the defense this year. Yeah. So me ordering these other seven guys, I don't even under, I don't know how to do it. I really don't like I've been, I've been looking at this and I think I, here's the thing. I think it's a great question because you would imagine I would know how any one of these guys might be ahead of the other guys, but I, I, I really don't like, here's the thing. If we're just going to separate these into positions, like, do I think Ty, like how would I order a depth chart of Tyreek Johnson, legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts at cornerback? I don't really know that I can do that right now. I just don't. I, so that to me, that's just totally guessing on which guy you think might play. Uh, Cam Martinez is interesting because he's, you know, he's a, he's maybe a slot guy, but he also might be third on the depth chart there. Um, you know, Court Williams is interesting. We haven't seen him even play this spring. Bryson Shaw is interesting. He's a straight up backup to Josh Proctor. So I have no idea how much Bryson Shaw is going to play. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Ronnie Hickman, you know, you know, you've been at practice, so I trust your judgment there. So maybe he would be my number two just because I think maybe he's closest to a starting role. But to be quite honest, I think it's basically impossible. And I might as well just give you a random list of names because uh, I don't really know how to order these other guys. <laughs> it, it were, was there a defined order that you got to, or did you just sort of throw your hands up and like me sort of say, I have no idea? No, I did. I did write down an order. I had Marcus Williamson at number one. I had Ronnie Hickman at number two. I had Tyreek Johnson number three because you know what I I think I've indicated on this podcast before that I did not have much confidence in Tyreek Johnson's future. So I think it's important that I say that 
I've liked what I've seen from Tyreek Johnson in the last couple of spring practices. You know, again, it's very limited sample size, but he's been out there making some plays. I, I, I get the feeling that, you know, things might finally be starting to click for him uh, in a sense. So I don't know that I see him as a starter this year, but I do think right now he's probably that number three guy at outside corner. And, you know, Cam Brown's coming off a major injury. Seven Banks is hurt right now too. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a possibility uh, Tyreek Johnson could play some major playing time at that outside corner spot, or they could even go to a rotation like Kerry Combs has gone in the past if he continues to make strides. So I put Tyreek Johnson number three. I I also put Ryan Watts at number four, because again, I think he's probably on the two deep at outside corner right now. My guess would be he's probably ahead of Legend Cavazos, given that, you know, he did play some last year while uh, Legend was hurt and didn't play at all. So I put Ryan Watts at number four as another guy who, you know, depending on how things shake out, maybe he sees some snaps at that outside corner spot. Then I had Cam Martinez fifth. I had Court Williams six. And, you know, if Court Williams was healthy right now, I might have him higher. But, you know, because he's not practicing right now, I don't know where he where he might ultimately fit in the pecking order just because, uh, you know, he, he's not out there. Then I put Bryson Shaw seventh. I mean, Bryson Shaw right now does appear to be Josh Proctor's backup, so he could be one injury away from playing a lot. My guess, though, is that if Proctor's healthy, he's going to play basically all the snaps at that deep safety spot, and so Bryson Shaw probably wouldn't play a ton. And then I had I had Legend Cavazos. All right. Well, that's official, and I assume that you got that straight from the mouth of Matt Barnes. I did not. I'll have to we'll have to look back at the end of year snap counts and. Uh, January 2022 and see how I did. Listen, you put together snap counts. So if we're going to rank guys via snap counts, it, it should be your voice who uh, who's up front there, I guess. Final question for this week. Silver Sniper asked, is the 425 defense an overreaction to the Natty loss? And we talked a lot about the 425 defense last week. I don't know that I've learned anything more about it in the past week. Uh, maybe we will on Saturday, but you know, just to answer the question, I, 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 I wouldn't look at it as an overreaction because, I mean, I think a reaction to what happened in the national championship game is absolutely warranted because, I mean, that wasn't just, you know, you had a bad day. That was, you got demolished on, on defense. And, you know, obviously they didn't lose any of games last year, but you know, we all know the defense was a problem last year, but you know, what happened against Alabama was not some anomaly. That was something that was being built up to all season and all came to a head against the best team they played. So I think there's absolutely a need to make changes on defense. And then, you know, I also think if we're going to characterize it in overreaction, I also think, you know, if you read what Kyle Jones wrote on Monday about the four two five defense is I think if anything, I don't think the, the changes that might be coming are an overreaction. I do think it's possible just because it's the off season that we're probably going to admittedly be at risk of maybe overstating potential changes they could make because I don't think we're talking about a total overhaul of what Ohio State does defensively here. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the core principles that have been a part of Ohio State's defense for the past two years are, are going to remain the same. And I think if we're talking about, you know, a four-two-five personnel versus a four-three-four personnel. You know, we're really more just talking about who's getting on the field. It's not necessarily 
a major philosophical change in terms of how Ohio State plays defense. It's just a matter of playing a guy who's more of a defensive back more often than than playing a guy who's a more traditional in the box linebacker. So I do think, you know, that's partially a reaction to what happened against Alabama. And it's partially just how the roster is constructed right now because Tough Borland and Pete Werner and Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard are all gone. But, you know, I don't see anything here that goes, whoa, I mean, they're this would be an overreaction. I think certain changes were necessary. And if, if we get to a point in September where people are complaining that the defense hasn't changed enough, that wouldn't surprise me because I don't think we're going to see drastic changes here. But I think the changes that I anticipate right now are not anything that I would look at as an overreaction. I, I would look at as things that I think are probably a natural progression for this defense. Here's the thing too. Is it an overreaction if they created the bullet two years ago? <laughs> like this has been in the works for a long time. You look at the guys who they've recruited and like at Court Williams, like uh, like you look at the the several defensive backs that they have in the 2021 recruiting class. And it's like, it has seemed like they've been trending toward this way for a long time. So I think it's the correct way to go. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a direct reaction of what happened in the national championship game. I think that certainly plays a part in it but it also feels like this is what they've wanted to do. And like you said, you said this isn't a major philosophy change. I don't think it's really a philosophy change even like at all. I think they're going to run the same defense, maybe with a more athletic player out with like one more athletic player out there than they did before. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't overreact to it. I think it's seemingly a step in the right direction. If you're going to plan to go up and, and play in the college football playoff again, against teams that will have prolific passing attacks. Well, I think we've uh, about run out of time here on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. So uh, I want to thank you all again for listening in. Lots of spring football talk this week, and we're going to have even more next week with the spring game on Saturday at noon on BTN. If you're one of the uh, lucky people who gets to be in the shoe on Saturday, congratulations. If not, I'm sure you'll be watching at home and uh, we'll be back next week to uh, break down everything we saw and, and, overanalyze way too much what we saw in an exhibition, but that's what we do because it is the last time we will see Ohio state football players in the shoe until the actual season begins in September. So thanks again for listening into this week's episode of real pod Wednesdays. Enjoy the spring game on Saturday and we'll talk to you again next week.